Good evening. This is Heartstock Radio, and I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Today, we have a great program with Shiloh Johnson. She is with Compliant. Just a moment, Shiloh will be with us and tell you all about what she is up to. In the meantime, I also have to remind you that you can email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. We're always looking for great guests to interview, especially those who are using business as a force for good on the planet. Also, you can find us on Facebook where we usually post all of our upcoming guests and our recorded programs. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. In just a moment, we will be back with Shiloh Johnson of Compliant. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Today, our guest is Shiloh Johnson of Compliant. Hi, Shiloh. Hi, how are you? We're doing great here. We were just chatting a little bit before we started recording, and we're both in California. Uh, I'm sure the the whole world has heard that California is the blaze. Um, so other than that, luckily, we're both very safe and um, just observing all of the smoke in the air. Anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners about your life there as it is in, in L.A. right now, Shiloh? It's good. It's just warm. <laughs> just trying to stay cool and, and find things to do and get outside every day a little bit and keep exercising. Yeah, there's some crazy, crazy times for sure. And I'm sure we'll we'll talk a little bit more about COVID coming up and all the other very interesting things that we can kind of weave into our conversation. But to start, let's just share with our listeners a tiny bit about Compliant and what you do there. Sure. Compliant is a desktop platform. It's self-guided software for any business owner, anyone who's doing any freelancing to help guide them through the business tax process from the day you register for an LLC until the very end. We're here to give you calendar reminders, to um, assist you with penalty notices. It's automation behind some of the more mundane parts of business tax. So it focuses more on business tax as opposed to uh, just straight accounting for businesses? Exactly right. There are lots of processes and and software for bookkeeping. You can find one, you know, anywhere and all over the place. We wanted to take a different shift because what's being ignored is the tax process. It's a bit more of a specialized industry and harder to, to create software around it. And it's really archaic. And it stems just from this sort of reactive process. You wait for a notice to come in the mail and then you're saying to yourself, oh, I didn't know I had to even pay that. So we want to sort of disrupt that relationship that is happening between the business owner and the municipalities. So this is federal, state and local taxes. Exactly right. All tax types from business licenses to income tax to property tax to all and everything in between. Mm hmm. So 
tell us a little bit about why you decided to become a CPA and yeah, what led you down this path to found compliant? Yeah. So I have children and my life is really practical. Um, So being able to be, I'm a single parent at that. So being able to be a a good income earner and support my family um, was really important. And I needed a job that was extremely stable and easy to come by at all times. And accounting just fit that mold perfectly. And I had a, a job that I was doing in college and a mentor I had on that job encouraged me to go into tax. And I just sort of narrowed my focus on, I got an undergrad degree in accounting and narrowed my focus on tax. And I made my my space really trying to get into a niche area that not a lot of people were doing so that I could be a commodity. Um, that was my entire goal in college was to do something that people would always need. Um, and that's what led me down this path. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a job and it sounds like you had a mentor at that job. Can you talk a little bit more about that while, while you were in college, it sounds like? Yep. Yeah. So I worked at a corporation out here in Southern California and I I worked myself through school. I worked full time and was a full time student. My life was insane. I don't know how I got through that, but and raised three children. I don't know. So while doing so, the boss, my direct supervisor, she was a powerhouse of a woman. Um, And just before, while I was there, she ended up getting promoted and leaving. And she ended up becoming the VP of um, U.S. tax for the entire corporation. It was a really big deal. So she was really instrumental in just sort of guiding me. I didn't even ask her to really be a mentor. She just stepped in and said, nope. I don't think that's a good idea. You need to do this and you're really good at this and do this. And just in a space where I didn't understand what my options were and what my power was. And she saw that and really spoke to it. So I, I, even to this day, I truly, truly appreciate her for stepping in and just seeing um, the need and, and filling it. So did you grow up in Southern California in the LA area? As well? I did. Born and raised. Yeah, I was born in Inglewood and I spent some time in Central California in Kern County. And then I moved back to L.A. when I was a teenager and have been here ever since. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your educational path. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? You went to public schools and I did. Yeah, I'm a public school kid. I didn't do anything private or fancy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I went to yeah public all elementary. I think I spent a little bit of time at a private school for a semester. My family is really religious. And so my mother thought it would, would be appropriate for me to go to a Christian school in high school, but that, that didn't last. I was a little bit too rambunctious. So um, I, I public school all through a while. And then I did under, undergrad at um, Cal State Dominguez Hills. Um, it had the best nighttime class situation. I could go to school in the evenings and I could finish all my classes, which was really important to me because I couldn't go to school during the day. Mm -hmm. So um, that worked out nicely. I got an undergrad in accounting and then I went to Golden Gate University and I did their online program and got a master's in taxation. And Golden Gate is really great. It's up north, but they specialize in adult learning, which they were really, really amazing at. So I did that. And then I sat for the exam here. And I'm thinking about maybe getting a PhD in accounting from USC, but we'll see. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the the exam, can you talk about sitting for the CPA exam and, mm-hmm. and what that 
experience was like? It's notoriously difficult. Oh, it's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) it's four parts. If you don't know anything about the exam process, it's four separate parts that you sit for separately and they're each four hours a piece. And they cover the theory of accounting and finance and financial management, sort of more on a theoretical basis. So you go through regulation and gap process and just how to um, properly do things according to SEC regulation and according to, you know, any other, the IFRS, I'm getting too complicated anyway. But the point is, it's really difficult. And I had to study a lot. I, I took, I won't tell you how many times I took each part, but let's just say I was not a one and done. Mm-hmm. I had to, that process really taught me how to study um, because it's so cumbersome and there's so much content and you don't know what content will actually be on the portion of the exam you're going to take. So it's really having a grasp of the content completely. And that process um, really taught me how to study in a different way, like a deeper, it taught me how to be a student, a deeper student. So once you passed your CPA exam, did you work for a corporation yourself? What, what was your personal yes. path from there? Yeah. So I, again, have always worked since I was 17. So I worked my way through undergrad and I worked for a corporation in their tax department. And then I leveled up while working there. And then I got a new job at a different company. And then all the while I'm finishing my graduate degree and finishing the CPA. And each time I was escalating in my career, I've probably worked for maybe about four or five corporations over the last 13 or so years. And each time I have leveled up, it led me under um, a supervisor that had CPA certification and it was active. And so the benefit about what you're supposed to do when you leave college and you get your CPA, you're supposed to work in public accounting. I did not do that because I have had the luxury of working under supervisors that had CPA certification. And part of your qualification process is you have to have 150 hours of, you know, in, in a firm. It doesn't have to be in a firm, but it needs to be covering, you know, audit, attestation, all of the different areas that cover, um, like, experiential. So by the time I had done that, I had a good amount of experience under my belt, and I could, my boss was able to sign off on the process for me. So that worked for me as well. Going into public accounting just wasn't a thing I could do because um, the hours are, I mean, really, really strenuous, especially during tax season, and I, I couldn't, I'm a parent, I, I couldn't do it. It wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Speaking speaking of which, you know, there's a lot of working moms out there and female entrepreneurs who are really, oh my gosh, struggling. You know, I hear their stories all the time. I listen to all kinds of radio shows, but a lot of public radio myself, and it's (laughs) gut-wrenching. Maybe you can address that a little bit and share with our listeners what that's like for you, what it was like both in college and taking the CPA exam and uh, now trying to homeschool. How do you do that? Oh, yeah. How do you do that? (laughs) Oh, gosh. I would love to say that I have it all figured out and I just had this perfect system, but that doesn't exist. I just... I, I put my head down and I, I work and I didn't sleep much. I mean, to, to full transparency, I was really young when I had my oldest daughter. I was a teen mom, so I was 17. And um, 
I had a lot of energy. So I could um, balance not sleeping very much and being present for them and working eight hours and then going to class for three hours and then studying until two and then sleeping for an hour and then getting up. So I could balance that a lot easier in my twenties because I have a lot more energy. I am not in my twenties anymore. So that is not the case. Um, It was very, very difficult. Difficult is putting it lightly. It's very much the hardest thing I have ever done. I get asked a lot. Um, people ask, you know, what, what's the, what's the, what, what thing did you overcome or what's the hardest thing you've ever done? It's absolutely raising kids by myself and having to still shoot for my dreams because you're constantly trying to find the balance of compromise between giving up valuable time with them and trying to build a future for them. And it was always tough for me to choose because I'm the sole earner. So if I don't make the money, it doesn't get made. And when that's your decision, when that's the, 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 the North star, it, it, you know, I I was sort of gun ho, you know, that's going to be the thing that I'm going to make sure that they're not going to have to worry about money and we're going to be okay. And everyone can go to college and we'll be focused in on making sure that everyone's financially secure. Um, It's tough because as a woman, as a mother, I wanted, wanted to be, I had a lot of mom guilt, a lot of mom guilt, full, full disclosure, not being able to do those things that I um, wanted to do for them. But you know, you, you make compromises and decisions and you find peace with it and you do your very best to get a circle around you of people who can help you. Those people have saved my life many times, you know, saved me from having to bring my kids to class with me. I mean, you know, people who would babysit and not charge me because I didn't couldn't afford it or, you know, people who would, you know, get them and take them to school so that I could study an extra hour or, you know, just finding moments during every free moment of my life. I was isolating to something. I wasn't the kind of person that had a lot of friends and hung out. I, I was very focused, focused on on not making them pay for the decisions I'd made early in my life. And it paid off. I'm I'm successful to my my own definition, but it's not without hardship. It's tough. You know, I remember many nights con- you know, compromising, you know, things for myself all the time so that they could have things for them. And you just you choose the thing that gives you the most peace and you go after it. And that's how I got through. I mean, thankfully now they're older. They're one is in college, two are in high school and they manage their, own. I don't, I don't homeschool. They, they can manage their own schedules. I have a junior and a senior. Um, but um, if I had, if they were small during COVID, Oh no, I would be <laughs> losing it <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Very difficult. And mm-hmm. I also wanted to really touch upon the fact that you are a woman of color and Mm -hmm. what kind of obstacles did life present, you know, give us some perspective here. Sure. Being a a woman of color in a field where there are very few, so there are less than 1% of the CPAs are people of color, period, let alone women. So it's very, very, um, very few and far between. Um, I have been given um, the luxury, if you want to call it that, of always being in environments where I was one of few. I went to school, um, predominantly white schools. I went to, uh, I had friends that were predominantly white. So it 
I think conditioned me to be able to be comfortable being one of very few. Um, so I am less panicked and less stressed and less anxious in scenarios where there is racial tension because I have been through it so much that it's sort of par for the course. And I, I try not to let certain things get to me, but I am more intentional about being vocal, about seeing things that, or, or experiencing things that are unfair um, that have happened to me. And they happen all the time. The hard part is when it's constantly happening, it's hard to notice and call attention because it's happening so much. Um, but it's been interesting. I mean, there are a lot of, right now on the stage of my life, I'm raising money for a startup, which comes with its own obstacles. You know, very few startups get funded. You know, very few women-founded startups get funded. Very few minority-owned startups get funded. So there's lots of those obstacles. And you just have to learn how to hear the stats and then keep going. Yes. Um, and just decide that no matter what, I'm going to do it. And nothing will tell me no except me. You know, when we've talked with some of our previous guests about <laughs> their own surprise and dismay at some mm -hmm. of the racism and mm -hmm. just kind of built-in biases, maybe you can shed some light on that for us as well. And you mentioned, you know, it happens all the time. What What is it that you encounter? Yeah, it's such a tricky thing to describe because, well, so I have a son. My son is my middle child. He's 17. Um, I remember very clearly there was a point when um, I think it was 2010 or 12 or something like that. And um, Trayvon Martin in Florida was killed. And that was a massive deal um, in the world and in the country for sure. And he, my son at the time was nine. And I remember explaining very clearly to him um, because he didn't understand and have lots of questions because it's, it's one thing I think for people to experience what's happening in the world from another view, you know, outside of their own, like that's not a situation I will ever have to deal with. So you can very easily separate, but when you're raising a child um, or you are, uh, you know, a black man or something like that, and that what's happening in the world is happening to people who look like you, especially when you're trying to explain this to a nine-year-old, it's, it comes close now. Now you have to decide in words that make sense to a child that people are going to choose you as a target and you have to, to make yourself safe at all points. And doing so, trying to still build love in their hearts and not hate for someone who may hate him. And that is, um, has been a tricky balance. I mean, I, I have had several instances where I, even to this day, people are very surprised. I, I have to prove my credentials all the time that I am who I say that I am, that I have gotten the education that I say that I have gotten. Um, when people see me versus not seeing me and having seen my resume first, they'll say, oh, you're a CPA? I would not have, I would not have picked you as being someone who has that kind of, or you don't look like someone who would do that. And that immediately says to me that you've decided that who I have showed up as isn't someone you think should have been here. And that those little things that happen, um, happen all the time. And all the time from good-natured people who don't mean any harm. But I think it's those kind of biases that we notice in the minority community front and center because it, it's, a, it's a direct shot to who you are. You know, you can't help but feel a little twinge when, when a, it's similar for women, when a man compliments a woman a little too much, 
you're thinking, oh, <laughs> that's a little too much. And they don't think they're doing anything wrong, but you feel uncomfortable. It's the same scenario when, when I think there are race issues. Um, and, and it does, it happens a lot. I, I am always complimented. Oh, you, you know, you, you speak well. <laughs> am I not supposed to speak well? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just little things like that, that, you know, yeah. you're constantly um, aware of. Assumption, <laughs> assumptions that we make about yeah. each other that aren't necessarily helpful. Yeah. So this is our midway point. We're going to take a little break, enjoy the music, and we'll be right back with Shiloh. This is Heartstock. Thanks for listening. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Today, our guest is Shiloh Johnson. She's a CPA and the CEO of Compliant. Hi again, Shiloh. Hi. So let's talk about your company's mission. And do you do you consider yourself a social entrepreneur? I not necessarily because tax is so pragmatic and it's just yes or no. There's no sort of change the world element there. But I do in the sense that we have a very specific customer we're going after. And that customer is someone who maybe cannot afford a CPA, but still has to re- you know respond to tax obligations and are finding themselves lost in the melee of it. Um, And that customer is maybe our social mission, just to sort of level the playing field and make the hard stuff easier so that there can be a higher rate of compliance so that business owners can stay in business longer, right? If the reason that businesses are failing is largely due to finances, a good portion of that is taxation and and bookkeeping and accounting and and proper reporting. So I would say yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about that customer a little bit more in depth. The stage that you're in, are you, would you consider yourself a startup or you've got a a full bevy of customers? We're definitely a startup. um, And the, the beautiful thing about it is we get to really listen to our customer and their needs. So I've had several conversations with users who have feedback and you get to survey and talk to people and figure out what are they really struggling with and what's hard for them about compliance and what scares them about tax. And in this space, we get to really build something that people can use rather than being this full-fledged, fully funded, you know, moving corporate wheel where you have to follow your process no matter what. We get to scale that back and really dig in deep to support the needs of our customers and just really trying to support those business owners that are self-filing their own tax returns or just trying to manage it themselves, especially now in COVID times when more businesses are having to scale back expenses, paying $1,500 to $2,000 for a CPA may not be feasible. So we want to really step in that gap and support those people. So let's talk about the app. Can you kind of Mm -hmm. share with us how it works and 
it sounds like you're trying to make it as easy as possible for your customers. Absolutely. So right now you can log on to the platform and um, input some details about your business and you can have up to five business profiles for your subscription. And then after you then put those details, there is a integrated calendar that will populate with all of the dates for the relevant tax support the relevant texting authorities that affect you. So based on where your business is and what you're doing, the, the calendar will populate for reminders to pay and file. And then there is a notice upload tool where if you get a notice from a texting authority that you don't understand, you can submit that, that notice for review. And our AI software will scan the notice and pick up keywords and respond to you with some process steps that you can implement to save yourself time and money so that you can respond to the notice appropriately. A lot of the questions I get as a CPA is, what is this? And usually the notices are straightforward and all generally the same. So we have that tool as well. And we've also integrated um, a budgeting tool. So there's a a tab on the platform where um, after you've connected your bookkeeping software, let's say QuickBooks, then the budgeting tool will populate with estimations of what you can expect to pay for each tax type. Um, according to your taxing authority. So it really gives you um, a full scope view of your tax layout and how to best prepare to pay each payment when it's due so you're not sort of trying to rush at the last minute and, and do all of these payments that you really can't afford and then you're you know, you know know behind. So there's that and then there's a lot of sort of library guidance. So when you see words you don't understand, you can follow the library to help you learn about what certain things mean like taxing authority or um, certain regulation trigger words that certain things, not in layman's terms, so that just the layperson can understand easily and quickly, I need to pay this and this is why and one and done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we just keep reminding you and we usher along with you throughout the year to make sure that you stay up on all of your your tax requirements. Take us on a little journey of the history of your company. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you founded it, I'm especially amazed at just the overwhelming thought of trying to track and build all of the laws and regulations for federal, let alone state and local taxes. How the heck did you do that? (laughs) So thankfully, during my corporate career, one of the things that I did repeatedly over and over is you create these things called tax calendars. And these calendars are usually state-based and they're rules. It's like, if you can imagine, it's like an Excel spreadsheet um, specific to each state with rules and notes and amounts and dates and addresses and phone numbers and all these things I have built. So I've built this sort of personal database of tax information over the lifetime of my career. I just was able, thankfully, I saved everything because basically in tax, the job is the same. So I was able to transfer this from job to job and then, you know, build on it as I got into new arenas. Whether I was working in retail or working in real estate, I was able to sort of bring that information all together in my main database. And then I use that database as the core of the content that populates the platform. So one part of our team is we have a tax research team and that team parses through the tax calendar and all current relevant rules and changes and then constantly updates and keeps the content and the platform fresh and relevant. So that's one way we get through all the content is I just have a 
laundry list of <laughs> of career experience that I've been able to use. And then the other thing is we don't try to get too deep. So we're not looking at the nitty gritty weeds, weeds, weeds of it. We're trying to get you a good surface level. So you have a good idea of what you're supposed to do, good idea of estimations. So we're not so exact amount, but we do give general estimations, which I think help guide um, business owners in a general sense. So that's how we do it. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a research team. Mm-hmm. Who else is on your team? Yeah, so we have a development team. Um, there's three of them. And then we have, of course, our tax research team. And then we have marketing. And then there's the executive team, which is me and another person. So the core really of what makes us go outside of software development is really our tax research team. That's really the meat of what we're trying to do is making sure that, you know, because tax regulation is so rule heavy that we're providing more detailed sort of breakdown of certain things that are in a really easy, small bite-sized chunks that people are actually like reading and understanding and um, can take with them. So that that's all of us. Yeah, and we talked just a little bit earlier about funding and mm-hmm. boy, is that tough. Did you have investors? How did how did you make this happen? Yes, we do. It's tough. <laughs> so, the good news is what I've been learning is that when you really commit to making something that people want and people can use and it's a real pain point solution that the money comes. If you can prove what you're doing, people will come and they will find you. And I just try to really hyper focus on that. I also was, you know, I've been a part of some accelerators and accelerator programs really help to open up your network to other people that may not have met you or know about you otherwise. Um, So that has been a huge help. Um, Also finding mentorship in this space, advisors with people who really see what you're trying to do and support it and champion it. So I've been able to find some success there too. So it really, you know, it's that a mixture of things and just networking, getting out there and connecting with people who are doing what you're doing or, or better. And then trying to get in their groups and see who they know and letting them know what you need, not being afraid to ask and then not being afraid to hear no, (laughs) you hear no a lot. But sooner or later, the yeses come. Mm-hmm. We've got about a minute left. And I was okay. hoping uh, you mentioned some accelerators that you participated in. Maybe you could briefly give a shout out to those. And um, how how our listeners might find you and carry on the conversation if they want. Absolutely. I participated in Seneca VC Accelerator, and I've also participated in Grid 110, which is local here to Los Angeles, which is phenomenal. If you're here, you should definitely look into it. You can find me. I'm on Twitter mostly at Shiloh A. Johnson. I'm also on Instagram, same name at Shiloh A. Johnson and LinkedIn as well. Really appreciate you sharing your story, Shiloh. And thank you so much for being on Heartstock. Absolutely. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Really appreciate you tuning in, listening. Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5, Butte America Radio. Hear our live programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. That's